0: We can begin tonight with uh, a small celebration, two really awesome people who aren't with us every week, get to be with us tonight, they're sitting next to each other, Dota's whispering during my sermon, that's okay, Dota and Beth, we're really glad you guys are here, it's a really awesome team, we love you and we're thankful that you guys are here tonight. So, we are in the book of John. We are in John chapter 20. moving on in the book of John. And, isn't this a passage that you usually do on Easter? The answer is yes, it is. It's a passage that we're studying with the ending of our time in the book of John. And so, you'll open your Bibles to John chapter 20. We've been talking about... Jesus giving us a new kingdom, and the Pharisees saying we have no king but Caesar, that Jesus is giving us a new kingdom that is not a political kingdom. We've talked about Jesus giving us a new family, the family who he honors from the cross and connects with. He's going in this passage again to be pointing to a new family when he talks to his brothers, who he's made his brothers through his finished work on the cross then Jesus is giving us a new example of forgiveness, a new example of love, and how he's a better king than David. And we see in a callback to I Thirst and the Psalm 69 that Jesus, instead of calling down curses on his enemies, is looking upon his enemies with love. So now, John chapter 20. Now on the first day of the week, And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. There is a lot here in this passage, and I'm not going to go into depth about all of it. The first thing I want to say about this passage is that this is a different gospel account than the others. That's been true of lots of John's writing, but it's very clear here why that's the case. If you have questions later and say, can you explain, are there two angels, one angel? Let's talk about that later. I'm happy to talk to you about it. But none of the gospels conflict with one another. And this particular account is written by John. And who is in this story as the one whom Jesus loved? It's John. He's talking about himself. What does he remember? Well, he remembers all this. Well, how did this happen firsthand? How does he have this knowledge? He was there. This is what he saw. This is what happened in his life. This is the only time you get a humble brag from John in the whole book of John, other than calling himself the one whom Jesus loves. So I guess maybe a second one. He's faster than Peter. Can I see that? Mm -hmm. The other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. (laughs) He saw the linen cloths lying there, but did not go in. So he gets there first, but he has timidity. Peter has no timidity at all. He doesn't get there first, but he, he gets all the way in. He investigates. But neither of them understood the scripture, that Jesus must rise from the dead. It's super important. Hindsight's is 20 We look and go... But Jesus is alive. He already told you he was going to be alive. He already told you he was coming. We're going to focus on the end of what I've read, not the beginning. But even in the end of what I've read, it's like, well, he's already told him that they're going to receive the Holy Spirit. He's already told him he's going to ascend to heaven. He he's told them all of this already. He's explained it. They didn't understand. They didn't understand what was to come. They didn't understand what had happened. The short editorial I'll make about Mary and her seeking of Jesus is something that is very challenging to talk about in church, and that is the treatment of dead bodies after someone dies. Huh. Why is that very challenging to talk about? Because when does it come up? Right after someone who you care about died. When I lived in Nashville, before I met Danielle, I was friends with someone who' uh, had a twin sister, no other living relative in town, their mom was dying of cancer, um, she was in a small group Bible study I led. she asked me to help her with a bunch of things as her mom was in hospice, and her mom died and her sister was overwhelmed emotionally and it kind of pulled back and wasn't really able to be around. I went with her to the funeral home, and I was so furious and uh, I didn't yell, but I made it very clear in a one-on-one conversation with the funeral home director that if he kept trying to upsell her that I, we were going to go somewhere else. The business of taking people who have lost someone they love and trying to tell them that they need to get like a more expensive casket is not biblical. It goes against what the Bible teaches. The care and concern that Joseph of Arimathea has to preserve the body of Jesus is not wrong. But today, for Christians who know when someone is gone, they're in Christ. They're not there anymore, but they are in heaven for eternity. The sepulchres that we put up are for our benefit, not theirs. And it's not wrong to grieve at a particular place. It's very wrong and very unbiblical to worship our ancestors. Statues and plinths and it looks more like Easter Island than it does like Christian burial oftentimes. And there's a profit motive behind that. It doesn't cost $25,000 for someone to be put to rest. It doesn't. Uh, why are we talking about that now? Well, it's a lot more comfortable to talk about it right now than any time when you're like, oh my goodness, someone I love just died. Okay, when someone you love died, realize that they're trying to upsell you like people try to get you a car that has the clear coat package. And it's really sad and really wrong. And for Christians, it shouldn't matter. It shouldn't matter. They're not there anymore. Jesus, Matthew Henry notes has the grave clothes left behind. Lazarus came out in his grave clothes. But Lazarus was going to need those again because he was going back in the grave. Jesus wasn't. Jesus ascended into heaven. He never died again. He never was put in the ground. And Jesus' body isn't anywhere that you can go. Mohammed's body is in a place where you can visit. Well, actually, that's not true. Muhammad's body somewhere. We don't know where it is. <laughs> Siddhartha Buddha's body is somewhere. We don't know where that is. But the shrines to religious leaders who have died exist because they didn't ascend into heaven. Jesus' body can't be found because Jesus is alive. He's with Jesus. He's with God the Father in heaven forever. So, the other piece here is verse 16. And it's a little observation there's beautiful music that's been written about it. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. He knows our name. The God of the universe knows our name. And he loves us. He cares about us. He cares for us. Now, this next part, I had the very disconcerting experience of speaking to my dad about and realizing we don't agree on our interpretation of this part of the passage. Well, guys, I'm I'm 38 now, so I'm old enough to go against my dad. Uh, Almost every time that my dad says anything I disagree with, I'm like, I better change my position. My dad's got to be right, because he's right all the time, and I'm wrong. Here's what we disagree about, but it, it, it matters some. It's just, what does it mean in 22 where it says receive the Holy Spirit? This is not going to be the primary point of what I'm talking about, but it's an important point to note. Let me start back here in verse 17. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. A literal interpretation of that statement instead of a prophetic interpretation of that statement, would mean, follow along here, this is in English, I'm ascending to my Father, and your Father to my God and your God, that they run back, and what's Jesus going to be doing? He will be ascending into heaven. So is that what happened? No. Because Jesus is not speaking here literally, he is speaking prophetically. Does Jesus ascend to heaven very shortly after this? Yeah. Within a very short time period in terms of less than a year. But Jesus appears over and over before he ascends into heaven. Okay? Between the end of John and Acts 2, there's some time. Jesus doesn't ascend right away. I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he said these things to her. Also, note, and it is important, especially for people who are trying to rewrite what scripture does and doesn't say, women matter in the Bible. They are not treated with the disdain that that culture had for women, and for women's testimony. Mary Magdalene is sent apostolos as a messenger to bring a message from Christ to the disciples. She sees him, he sees her and calls her by name and sends her with a message. Women matter deeply within the Bible. Women should matter deeply within our churches. And a recognition of that is not that it's a recent thing that we've just realized. Jesus saw Mary Magdalene. Now, our focus is going to be here. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Now the doors being locked and Jesus standing among them, there have been people who have argued for over almost 2,000 years now, because it's been an early heresy, that, you know, Jesus, his physical body was just hidden somewhere, but but he did come back as a spirit man, and he walked as a spirit man. And next week, we'll see even more why that's ridiculous. Okay? But Jesus did somehow get past the locked door. How did that happen? Well, I don't know. How did he walk on water? Uh, Oh, you must understand, Jesus had exceptionally webbed feet. No. Jesus did it supernaturally. How did Jesus go past the locked door? Supernaturally. Was he fully God? Yes. Was he fully man? Yes. Did he physically rise from the dead with his body? Yes. His body bearing the marks and the wounds that he suffered on our behalf on the cross. But Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Did the disciples receive the Holy Spirit prior to Pentecost? Well, in a manner of speaking, there's been all kinds of argument about it. And it's not going to be the primary focus because I don't think it should be. But I would argue that when Jesus says receive the Holy Spirit, he's saying that as a command, and he's breathing on them prophetically, and he is connecting immediately in the mind of all the disciples the gift of the Holy Spirit with the indwelling power of God that animates humankind upon creation. When the first man, Adam, is created, God breathes life and from dust a man is made. His flesh is given life because of Ruach, the, the breath of God filling him. That's the first creation. That's the old man. That's the creation of our physical body. The creation of a new man, the creation of our spiritual body, the creation of us come to life in Christ is breathed out as a gift from God. Christ, little Christ, the indwelling power of the Spirit, comes from Jesus breathing on them. But John 16 says, I'm going to have to go away, and then the Helper will come. Acts 2 has them waiting, and then the Holy Spirit comes upon them. So I would argue that this is a prophetic speaking of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes, you are to receive it. Also, The the previous verse, as the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. So they leave right away? Mm, They don't leave right away. So he ascends right away? Mm, Doesn't ascend right away. So they set up the church, and we need to focus on this and understand this. It's super important. Verse 23, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. What does that mean? What in the world is that talking about? There are times when the plain text of Scripture couldn't be more clear, and it's super annoying to hear somebody go, I don't really, this doesn't really seem very clear. I don't, this list of things, I'm not sure. What, is this a sin or not? Oh, yeah, where it says this is sin, and then it lists three things, all three of those are sin. This is one where you could be confused by reading something that if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So that means that these guys, well, okay. So these guys just got a special dispensation of the Holy Spirit. And now, they have the power to tell people that they're going to hell. They have the power to condemn people to hell. It's pretty important. They can go around, if they want to forgive people, just they get to forgive them. And if they don't, you're not forgiven. No. That's not what it means, that's not what it's talking about, but it's connected deeply to something that is still very misunderstood, not, thankfully, at LCC, but very misunderstood within our culture, very misunderstood, and that is the call for Christians by Christ to judge within the body, to judge within the church. For a church to have discipline, for a church to understand membership, not because, where does the Bible talk about membership? Uh, it doesn't in the way most churches are talking about it. There's no contract that you sign and, oh, Thomas, I think you missed three Sundays, you only got one more and you lose a crown in heaven. That's not what it's talking about, but it is absolutely talking about Knowing people intimately within the church and knowing if someone is living a life that bears fruit, a life that demonstrates that they're saved, a life that puts to death the misdeeds of the body, a life where they are not living in unrepentant sin. And so the question for us should be, have you received the Holy Spirit? and then to know what that looks like. The judgment that he is talking about is the same judgment that happens in John 3. We talked about the fact that John 3.16 is an incredible verse, but it's also important to know John 3.36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Guys, the early church, did they have a problem with a lot of fake Christians? The early church had were refining fire persecution. So it wasn't that common. Ananias and Sapphira, they were both killed by God because they lied about what they were doing. But in the early church, there weren't a ton of people who were like, you know what would really help my business contracts? I'm going to get a little The guy who invented the acus, he put them all over the chariots, and you know that was just one of the ways that you could kind of build your business. No, Christians were reviled, Christians were murdered by the state, Christians were persecuted, Christians were thrown out of their relationships, Christians lost their families that were like their biological families, in the same way that many Muslims in the Middle East do now when they become Christians. That happened to Jews and to other pagan people who converted to Christianity in the early church. But there were people who thought they were part of the body, and they weren't. And the mark of that was their rejection of the saving power of Christ that compels us to a new life. If you study the Holy Spirit coming with power on people, and you were from my kind of background. Some people jokingly call it the frozen chosen. If you're part of the group who kind of feels uncomfortable about raising your hands in worship, this morning I, I raised my hands like to hear. This, this is comfortable. The, the elbow crook. Getting up like this, it's like, you know. It wasn't a sweat issue. I just just feel strange. And people say, like, well, don't you do that at sporting events? No, I don't. <laughs> When I was a kid, I did the wave, but in general, everyone, I'll clap, but I'm not, this is not something I do, okay? If you read in the book of Acts, and the Holy Spirit comes over and over and over and over, what do you see? Not a rhetorical question. Anybody know the answer to that? Lifting the holy hands happens in worship, absolutely. What do you see it's a, a spiritual gift? Speaking in tongues. Guys, I'm open to that gift. I'm not a cessationist. I believe God still gives that gift. I absolutely believe that. I know many people who have that gift. I also don't. I haven't. Does that mean... What is that? that, am Am I not a... I thought I was a Christian, but now I didn't speak in tongues. Did I get the Holy Spirit? Guys, the Apostle Paul says specifically that not all Christians are going to get the gift of speaking in tongues. But further, what we're supposed to be seeing about our lives that show us whether or not this has happened has to do with what Jesus talks about here. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Are you at peace? Have you met the Prince of Peace? Has he changed your life? Have you gone from a restlessness where you're not sure why you're here to a time when you know without a shadow of a doubt that when you die you will be with Jesus for all eternity? That's a mark of a believer. That's a mark of a person who's been changed. That's a mark of the Holy Spirit coming and indwelling you and living with you. And as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. That's quite a part from speaking in tongues, it should not be the case that in the South, almost everyone says they're a Christian, and almost no one's about the business of making disciples. Oh well, uh, you know, since I mean I, I just kind of I don't know. I mean, I'm sure I'll, at some point I'll probably have an opportunity to share about Jesus. Look, I'm ready. If someone asks me about it, if someone comes up to me and is like, Hey, Clayton, oh, how can I become a Christian? I'll definitely talk to them. No doubt about it. I'm definitely going to do that. That's not what Jesus said. That's not what we're supposed to be doing. We're sent, and we're supposed to be going and seeking those who are lost to bring the good news that saved and transformed us. Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness, it is withheld. That is talking about the recognition within the body by the church of those who are and are not saved. And why do we judge within the church? Because someone who's living in sin, someone who is not repentant, is someone who needs Jesus. It's someone we want to get saved. It's someone we want to bring the good news to so that they can quit living lives that show that they're not part of the family. In Acts 10, there's a picture of what is happening for people who become Christians. While Peter was still saying these things, verse 44, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. We are those who have been given through the power of the Holy Spirit as Gentiles a part in the family, a place in the family. But what does that look like now? What are we supposed to be doing now? And so we'll go and look again 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Does that describe you? The righteousness of God? Is that who you're becoming? Oh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm on the way, but I'm not there yet. Okay. Becoming the righteousness of God, does that mean that we're perfect, that we never sin? No. no. A short phrase, I don't know whose quote it is. I like it because it's true. Becoming a Christian doesn't mean that we're sinless, but it does mean that we sin less. When you are a Christian and you sin, the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin and you repent. You turn from it. You don't love it. You don't wallow in it. You don't accept it. It doesn't mean that we don't stumble and fall. It means, though, that we keep getting up. It means that we keep pursuing. It means that we keep being reconciled. The deep level of reconciliation, we talked last week about the difference between justification and sanctification. The deep reconciliation is Jesus giving us peace. The Prince of Peace giving us peace. We deserve hell and judgment, and wrath, and because Jesus took the punishment upon himself, we have peace. And once we receive that peace, once we have received that love, 2 Corinthians 5.14, the love of Christ compels us. The love of Christ controls us. We go forward as sent ones to spread that peace to those who don't yet know him. And within the body, we look and ask, have you received this forgiveness? What is one of the most obvious checks for that? If anyone says he loves Christ and hates his brother, he is a liar and the truth is not in him. Pretty hard words. but That's the Bible. I'm quoting the Bible. If your heart has been changed by him, you're not full of love. Your love is not just for him. Your love is for those who are in the place where you were. That includes your enemies. It's everyone who's lost. That you have a burning desire to see them come to Christ. I am praying in this year that there will be revival in Lonsdale and that our church will be people who are on mission to share the love of Christ with people who don't have any peace. People who know deep down that if they die, they're terrified of the concept of it because they don't know what's coming, that we will be able to share the love of Jesus that's rescued us, that's saved us, that's filled us with the power of the Holy Spirit to go and boldly say, it's not about us. We're not good, but He is. And because of the finished work of Christ on the cross, we implore you, be reconciled to God. Let's pray. God, we desire... For lost people to come to know you. We desire for slaves to be made free. We desire for people to know what it means to be controlled by your love. Give us hearts filled to overflowing with gratitude for what you've done for us. Help us to pursue relationships with those who don't know you. Help us to be instruments of your peace, to take seriously our role as ambassadors. Lord, we pray for this neighborhood. We know there are people in this neighborhood who think they're saved and aren't, but God, we pray boldly for those who don't even think they're saved, for those who think that the church has nothing for them, for those who are mad at the church, for those who are mad at you, and for those who need to know You love them. Those who have set themselves up with recognition that they are your enemies. Those who will be mad at us when we share about you. Those who demons don't want to let go of. Help them to know the power of the blood of Jesus. For us to be able to share that love with them. In word and in deed. For us to build relationships with them. Uh, We pray that there will be an outpouring of the power of your spirit on this neighborhood and in our church and that we will be able to be instruments of reconciliation and we'll be careful to give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.